Um, so if you got your Bibles there, and I, I hope you do, I'd love for you to open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be reading from verse 19. Can we um, bring the mic down just a little bit? Thank you. And so uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to look at it. We're going to bring some things out for us to, to think about, some things for us to ponder, and, um, and why this passage of Scripture is relevant for us today. And so if you're there, uh, good, you can read along. If, if you're not there yet, it's on the screen so you can catch up. This is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so, so as we arrive at our passage this morning, I want to just sort of set this passage in a little bit of context so that we kind of understand, you know, the on-ramp into what, uh, and what we're actually reading here this morning. And so um, the author of Hebrews has just got done unpacking a lot of really important, very high theology about who Jesus is. Um, as a high priest in the Lord's temple, who Jesus is in terms of his high priest and who he is as a sacrifice. And the author of Hebrews has been talking about how this whole temple system that they had had was uh, in many ways a foreshadowing of this greater reality that was going to take place, this greater reality that was going to come to pass, um, that was going to be, become real to them, that was going to come in Jesus. And so after now, now he's unpacked all this theology, he's getting down into practical implications, practical response to, well, how then should you respond to this theology? How then should you respond to these ideas, what, basically what he's just unpacked here. And this is really important because theology is good, and it can be good, but unless it's actually affecting your life, unless it's transforming who you are and the way you actually live, it's not actually doing anything for you. And I'm sure we've all met uh, people who know a lot of theology, and their lives, um, unfortunately, are not congruent with a the theology that uh, uh, you, would, you would expect. Um, and so to begin with, uh, we're going to be investigating some particulars of this passage. Uh, we're not going to be able to touch on everything that's here. Otherwise, you'd be here all day. And I'm sure some of you have lunch plans um, and nap plans. Um, and I, didn't wanna, I don't want to disrupt those nap plans. Um, and so uh, what, a few things we're going to be looking at in this passage. Firstly, we're going to be asking the question, what is the sanctuary and why do we have boldness to enter into it? Secondly, what does it mean for us to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith? Number three, why is the author of Hebrews urging his readers to hold on to their confession of hope without wavering? And number four, what wisdom can we draw from the author's exhortation to them to watch out for one another 
um, to provoke love and good works. So let's start, let's start at the first one. What is the sanctuary and why do we have boldness to enter into it? Well, to begin with, we, we have to understand the, the people that this person is writing to. Now, the, the, this is the letter to the Hebrews, so that probably has given you a clue that these are Hebrew people that the author is writing to. These are predominantly Jewish people who have now come to Messiah Jesus. They've embraced Jesus as the promised Messiah. They've turned in faith to him. They're worshiping him. But they're Jewish people, which means they culturally come with a whole lot of understanding about the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood and, and how all of that works. And, and, and I want you to try and step into their shoes for a moment and try and begin to imagine what it would have been like to actually grow up to live in that culture and in that environment. You know, as, as a kid, you have, you have your festivals and, and you have your ceremonies and you would maybe go with your parents when they would go and make offerings and sacrifices in the temple. You, you were raised to understand that you were God's special holy people that had been called out from among the nations and that, and that even so, there, there was this temple that you would go to and in, in the temple, that's where God's presence was. That's where his particular presence was. Even though some of the psalmists would allude to the, to the idea that God is everywhere and there's nowhere we can escape God, you are raised with this idea and this understanding that God is there in his temple and he's there in his holy place. And so, so year after year, you're, you're raised in this culture. You see the things happening at the temple. You understand this is who you are as your people. And you recall seeing that every year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that the high priest would go through this elaborate ritual and ceremony to prepare himself, to prepare himself to enter into this place called the Holy of Holies in the temple. The most sacred, the most holy part, where only the high priest once a year was permitted to enter into. And you also recall that even though you are called God's people, that in, in this, even though you are called God's people, that your relationship with God is also kind of being mediated through this priesthood. Because you go to the temple to worship, you go to the temple, you, you say your prayers in the temple, so you bring your sacrifices, the priest takes your sacrifice and will slaughter it there on the altar for you. If it's a burnt offering, they'll, they'll burn it for you. If it's a grain offering, they'll, they'll do what's appropriate with that. But your whole relationship with God is mediated through this priesthood. And, and you understand that there's, even though you're God's people and you have a relationship with God, it's still, you're still somewhat distant from him because you know that even though you're his people living in his land and the temple is right here, he's still right over there. And you know that because you're not a priest, most likely you're not a priest, that you don't, there's certain parts of the temple that you just simply don't have access to. And there's even a part of the temple that only the high priest has access to once per year. And it's actually behind this large, very thick curtain. That's where God's presence is, this holy, sacred place, this, this, this place that, that nobody just simply waltzes into, that nobody simply just, just goes into haphazardly or without thought or without fear and trepidation. 
Because that's where God's presence is. And so this is the world you're raised in. These are the things that are in your mind. And so when the author of Hebrews now talks about, you know, we have this boldness to enter into the sanctuary on account of Jesus. We understand the author of Hebrews is actually drawing on this absolute paradigm shift that has taken place on account of what Jesus has done. You see, on account of what Jesus has done, we no longer worship God at a temple, or, or rather, a temple that's made with human hands. We don't have to go anywhere in order to worship God. We don't have to go anywhere to meet with God. You know, Jesus has this, has this incident where, where he meets the Samaritan woman at the well, and she asks him the question, you know, your people, she says, sorry, sorry, my people, we worship on this mountain here. And, and you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem. And she's essentially asking, so, so who's right? Like, is God up there on the mountain? Or is he down there in the temple? Which is right? And Jesus says, there's a day coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. It's not on a mountain. It's not on a temple. The true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Since Jesus has come, we've undergone a paradigm shift in what worship looks like and what worship constitutes. Instead of going to a place of worship, we're now, we are now the temple itself. You know, we talked about this in our first Peter series, how Peter says, you know, we are being gathered like living stones. We are the household of God. And so rather than the temple being where God's presence is, his presence has actually come to indwell his people. Instead of offering up animal sacrifices and grain sacrifices, we offer up our lives as living sacrifices to God. Our mind, our will, our emotions, all on the altar before God, given over to Him. We now have access to the very presence of God, not through an elaborate ceremony, not through, through elaborate ritual and preparation and... and, and <clears throat> And, and striving to, to make sure that we've done everything perfect so that we can be fit to actually enter in behind the curtain. But actually, the very presence of God is in our innermost being, in our inner sanctuary. And He dwells there by His Spirit. <clears throat> and all of this is possible. All of this is possible because of Jesus and his life laid down as a sacrifice on our behalf. He's made a new way of access for us into God's presence. This is what the author of Hebrews says. He has inaugurated a new and living way through the curtain. That curtain that used to divide the Holy of Holies from everything else. The very presence of God from everything else. Through Jesus... The author says, there has been inaugurated a new way in. Not through that curtain, but through the flesh of Jesus. He's bringing this analogy to mind. An analogy that may not, it, it, it may be lost on us. Because I don't imagine many of you, if any of you, grew up making physical sacrifices in a physical temple. That's just not part of our... Our nomenclature, we, of course, you know, of course God's everywhere. Of course you don't need to go to church to worship. Of course you don't need, you know. But I want you to understand the, the significance of this shift 
for a people who their whole lives, they were trained to reverence that place, trained to, to honor that place, that holy of holy place, and to now be, be told that on account of what Jesus has done, you now, a non-Levitical priest, you, a non-high priest, now have access into that same presence. And he says we can boldly enter in. I think, I think for us, because we haven't been raised in that culture, there's almost nothing we consider holy today. There's almost nothing we consider sacred today. Perhaps, perhaps the closest thing we maybe have in our culture is, is something like, say, an Anzac Day, where, where we honor those who gave their lives in service for the protection, and the, and, and, uh, for the protection of, of, of our country. And Australians are very particular about honoring and revering that day. So when anybody says anything about it, there is a furor and there's an anger and there is, there is a response that you cannot treat that day as something unholy. That's probably one of the few things that we have in our culture that perhaps begins to even touch on what, on what they had in theirs. And so because we're not trained to think this way, this is, we are some 2,000 years removed from that. We've got all sorts of other cultural heritages feeding into that. We have this tendency to simply just become familiar. We have this tendency to simply not reverence the presence of God like we ought to. We, it's become common to us. It's become When you can simply enter in any time you like, when God's presence is abiding within you, it doesn't seem rare and valuable. It's very easy for us to actually degrade the value of what we've actually received in Jesus. But for these guys, for these guys, this, this would have been clear. This would have been clear. That what we've actually got in Jesus is something unique. And it's something special. And it's something that shouldn't just simply be common. When I say common, I mean treated as, treated as everyday or, or a commodity or, or unspecial or unholy. Or, or just, you know, I woke up and had breakfast this morning and I walked into the presence of God in my living room. Like, like, think about that. <laughs> so the author of Hebrews urges them to walk in boldly on account of what Jesus has done. So what does it mean for us to draw near then? If, if, he's, given, if he's given that call for them to draw near in boldness on account of the faithfulness of Jesus? What does it mean for us to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith? 
Now, CSB translates it true heart. Other translations will translate it uh, sincere or genuine. And essentially what he's saying is that when you come to worship, when you come to worship, it's got to be real. It's got to be genuine. It's got to come from a place of true worship. You see, in this paradigm shift, some things, some things take place. For one, for one, you can't just simply come to the temple anymore and make a sacrifice half-heartedly. Now, I don't think God ever really truly accepted those sacrifices in the first place. But in, in, for, for the sake of religious veneer, for the sake of religious veneer, that's entirely possible. In fact, Jesus would say, quoting Isaiah, he would say of, of, the, of the system that was at his, in, in his day, and the, the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees and all those, all those um, religious elites that were in there, around there, that those people, that they would acknowledge him with their lips, but their hearts were actually far from him. There was a way in that day to actually do worship that was actually devoid of true worship. Does that make sense? It was possible to go through the ritual and yet still have your heart remain far from the Lord. Just like it's possible for you to come to church on a Sunday, learn to say the right things, do the right things, dance the right dance, and people will think, hey, there's a true worshiper of the Lord. But you see, in this paradigm shift that's taken place, while Maybe you are doing well, or maybe you are not doing well, but you are able to keep up the religious veneer. The difference is, is that when God's presence is out there, perhaps you can fool yourself into thinking that he's unable to see past your veneer. Well, I came, I made the sacrifice. You know, I, I said my prayers. You know, I put my money in the box. You know, I think I, think I got one over on him. <laughs> but when God's presence is here, when God's presence is dwelling in our innermost being and we attempt to approach God's presence here, all of it's exposed. All of it is exposed. You, you can't, firstly, you can never get one over on God. But this reality, this paradigm shift of God's indwelling presence should align your thinking to the reality is that you really can't get one over on God because he's already in there and he sees what's going on. He sees the attitude of your heart. He sees the state of your heart. So he says, draw close. And when you draw close, do it with a true and genuine heart. Maybe you don't have the strength or the energy to lift your hands. Or maybe you don't have the strength or energy to dance or, or to whatever it is. But in your heart, is your heart turned towards the Lord? Is your heart in a, in a place and an attitude of worship towards Him? And so this statement cuts both ways. For those who might be tempted to do, to, to do church, put on a show... You may have fooled us, but you haven't fooled God. And if you're sitting here this morning, and that's you, let this be a wake-up call and a call to repentance for you that you have not fooled God. You haven't fooled Him. 
Nothing is hidden from His eyes. The very depths of your heart are exposed to Him. And if you're going to truly enter into a place of worship, you need to deal with that reality. You need to deal with what's there in the depths of your heart. But I said this also cuts both ways. Talked a lot about those who maybe have a religious veneer and are trying to pass as a true worshiper and aren't. But what about those who still are genuinely afraid of approaching God? He says, approach with a true heart of faith in full assurance. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. He says here, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. You see, the reason why, he says, firstly, you have the boldness that you should boldly enter in, is because whereas in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, in the temple, after all this elaborate ritual and ceremony to cleanse and to purify himself, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies with fear and trepidation, and he would carry the blood of the sacrifice, and he would keep that blood of the sacrifice between him and the altar. And if at any time that blood was not between him and the altar, there was a very real chance that he would be struck down dead because of the holy presence of God. Now, on account of Jesus, you have now been sprinkled and purified with that blood. That, this, is, this is why that theology matters. This is why the author has gone to the lengths to say, we have this great high priest who not only mediates God on our behalf, but who's also made this perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And so that when we come to him, when we come to him, trust and know and understand that your sins have been covered underneath the blood of Christ. And it's on account of that that you can draw near in the full assurance of faith. You can draw near to him in the full assurance of faith. And so this morning, this morning, if you're someone who has come here and, and you're coming because you know you should come to church, but you're actually, you don't want to go to God because you're afraid of what he might say to you. You don't want to go to God because you're afraid that he's, he's deeply upset with you or, or that he, he's going he's gonna to really rail you over your sin or, you know, you've, you've, you've done something and, oh, it's too, I, can, I can never come back this time. I want you to remember what Jesus has done. That by faith, his blood covers you. And you can approach with a true heart in the full assurance of faith that what Jesus has done is sufficient for you to enter in. It is sufficient for you to come. There is no longer any excuse for you not to come. We'll move on to the next point. What, why is the author of Hebrews urging his readers to hold on to their confession of hope without wavering? <clears throat> to 
to understand this, we need to go back to our context. You see, what was happening in the first century is, is as Jewish people were hearing about the Messiah, they were hearing about Jesus, they were coming to faith. They were trusting in Jesus. They were, they were, they were turning to him in faith and embracing him as their Messiah. Now, that had implications for their life. It often meant rejection from your family. For those Jewish family members who hadn't embraced the Messiah and perhaps saw Jesus as a false teacher or a false Messiah or a troublemaker. Eventually, what it, what it meant is that, is that uh, any Jews who had become Christians, who had embraced Jesus, were eventually kicked out of the synagogues across the empire because, of, because they were following the way. There was a high social toll that was placed upon these early Jewish believers for following Jesus. And many of them, many of them were wavering. You know, we had been promised this Messiah who would liberate us and liberate his people. And now I've come to Messiah and my own people are rejecting me. This is causing me nothing but trouble. And the author of Hebrews has, has gone to great lengths to unpack. He's like, no, look, there is a greater reality that is at place. You can't go back to the old way of doing things. There is a new high priest over the household of God. He is the one who's mediating this relationship you have with God. And he has made this perfect sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin, but his perfect sacrifice can. Do you not realize you have something greater in Jesus than what you had previously. And this is why he's encouraging them and urging them to hold on to their confession, the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, with uh, uh, their confession of hope without wavering. So that was their context, is that they had come to Jesus and things got hard and they were tempted to roll it back. They were tempted to roll it back. But the reality is, is what Jesus provides is much greater. And the reason why we can hold on to this hope, or why we should, rather, hold on to this hope without wavering, is because, like we sung this morning, He is faithful. He is faithful. And the last point I wanted to touch on here this morning is what wisdom can we draw from the author's exhortation for them to watch out for one another to provoke love and good works <clears throat> you see when, when you kind of understand where the, where the author of Hebrews is trying to get to he's, he's, he's trying to explain to them that they've got this better way they've got this new and living way of actually relating to God and entering into the place of worship and experiencing his presence. And he's encouraging them, he's encouraging them not to turn back to old ways because they're insufficient to do what, what they were hoping for them to do. And he's also encouraging them, he's also encouraging them to not forsake gathering together. Because one of the revelations that comes with the New Testament and the, and the testimony of Jesus is that we actually need each other. 
We actually need each other. There's, there's something about the revelation of God in the body of Christ where each of us knows and understands who Jesus is. And we all, with unveiled faces, are being transformed in, in, from glory to glory as we draw together as God's people and help each other, support one another. There's a... Um, <clears throat> I remember hearing this story, um, and it's, a, it's, it's an old preacher's story, I can only assume. So it's, um, its veracity can be questioned. <clears throat> but there's a tale. <laughs> there's a tale about this Scottish minister uh, who, uh, going about his pastoral duties, he had noticed that one of his parishioners had uh, been absent from church for many Sundays. And so he organized a time to actually go around and visit this parishioner one evening and um, goes and he knocks on the door and the guy you know, welcomes him in and these two men, they just go and they sit in front of the fire silently. After a while, the minister gets up and he grabs the tongs, the, 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 the tongs from the fire and he, and he takes one of the coals that's in the fire and he lifts it out and he just puts it on the stone in front of the fireplace and he goes and he sits back down and the two of them are just sitting there watching this coal. And he's watching the coal. As he pulled it out, there's a little bit of flame on it. But as it sat there, the flame grew low. And it even began to lose the, the orange whiteness, you know, when, when, when coals get hot. And eventually it went dark. And the minister looks over at the, over the parishioner and he says, Do you understand? man says, yeah, I'll be at church on Sunday. <laughs> now, I don't know if that story is true. But the essence of the parable is true. The essence of the parable is true. Is that if you think, if you think that you are going to be able to do this Christian life, if you are going to be able to, to, to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, and to walk this long walk if you think you're going to be able to do it all by yourself, you are sadly mistaken. You are sadly mistaken. There have been times. Actually, I'll, I'll get to this point first, and I'll tell that story. Um, but he says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promises faithful. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Now, that word provoke there, that seems very confrontational, you know. Maybe afterwards when we're having tea and coffee, I'll go around provoking some of you, um, hopefully to love, to love and good works, you know. Oi, oi, go, go love somebody or something. <laughs> but that's literally, it's the, the word, the underlying word is provoke, to irritate, to agitate, which means that sometimes, sometimes it's going to be annoying, but it's necessary there have been times in my Christian world, I've, I've been walking with Jesus for 18 years now, 19 years, something like that. Um, some of you, some of you, that's, that's a short innings. Um, but, <clears throat> uh, but for some of you, that's a lot longer than, than you've been walking with the Lord so far. And I just want to encourage you that there, there have been times, and I've learned this lesson through experience. There have been times when my walk with the Lord has been garbage. 
When my heart has been so cold, when I was not approaching the Lord with a true heart of faith, but for whatever reason, I had this, this rigid commitment to being at church every single Sunday. Now, maybe a religious veneer, but I had this religious commitment to being at church every single Sunday. And you know what that did? When I would see people praying, when I would see people worshiping, when I'd hear people share testimonies of God's goodness, man, it would bug me. It would agitate me. Because I knew, I knew there was goodness they was experiencing the Lord that I was missing out on. We need each other. I need you. You need me. You may not think that. And the degree to which you need me may be less than what I need you. But just, I'm still necessary at some point. <laughs> we need each other. We need each other. And not just in a social club kind of way. We need each other as we all draw near to God with boldness. As we all enter into that place of worship together. We all need each other to be doing that alongside each other and provoking each other to greater depths of relationship with the Lord. Greater depths of worship to the Lord. Greater uh, levels of, of, of outworking of faith and good works and good deeds and love we need each other. And so why, why this passage today? We were, um, we were slated to go through First Peter again. <clears throat> this Sunday, and, and I, felt, I felt like there was a shift on Friday, that this was something that, that we needed to address. The reason why, why we're talking about this today while we're, while we're lifting this passage of Scripture into our minds and our hearts this morning, is because even though this was written to a people some 2,000 years ago, God is using this passage of Scripture to remind us of the same truths today. To remind us that we need to boldly draw near. That we need to enter into that place of worship. That we need each other to support each other from that place. The last two and a half years have been incredibly difficult for a lot of people. Lockdowns, illness, cultural uh, deterioration, conflicts and tribalism. Many of you have been wrestling through conscience issues regarding certain mandates that have come into effect, that have affected your livelihood. Others of you have been wrestling with the fact that some people have had a conscience issue with some of the mandates. Some of you have been going through a process of deconstructing and attempting to reconstruct your faith and hold on to Jesus through all this mess. And while the whole COVID panic thing, it feels like it's sort of subsiding now, there's a number of other problems coming down the pipe that we're yet to feel the full effects of yet. And I don't say that, I'm not a, I, I'm really not a doomsday prophet. I, you know, I'm generally optimistic about the future. But these next few years especially, we are going to go through some stuff 
that people haven't gone through in a while. History doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And so I can't remember exactly how long ago this was, but within the past few years, God had been uh, speaking to us, to, speaking to Tienes and I, um, as leaders of the church, about this concept of the, the key of David from Isaiah 22. Uh, 22. Uh, we discern that this key of David concept is, is the heart of a true worshiper, um, how God was restoring true worship and the spirit of family to his church. Um, during this time in a dream, God also highlighted to us uh, the church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation um, and essentially calling us to look like that church. And now I'm going to read this passage from the book of Revelation uh, for us real quick. Um, and it says this, it says in Revelation 3, starting at verse 7, it says, Write to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, thus says the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, and who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close, because you have but little power, yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is coming, to the, coming on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Now, what I'm doing here is not exegesis. This letter was not written to us. It was written for our benefit, but it was not written to us. It was written to an actual church there in the first century, okay? But there are times, there are times when you're reading scripture and the Holy Spirit will land on a passage and he will give you wisdom and revelation from it to give you direction and guidance in your time. Now, we're not going to create any theology out of this. <laughs> we're not, we're not, I'm, I'm not even declaring the Lord's returning next week, Okay? I take him seriously when he says, no one will know the day or the hour. Stop guessing, he can come back sooner, okay? That's a joke <laughs> for everyone who's trying to predict. <laughs> but <clears throat> this morning I feel the need to reiterate the call for us to draw near. Reiterate the call for us to actually enter into a deeper place of worship where we worship him in spirit and in truth, where we prioritize him, when we prioritize the secret place, when we prioritize prayer, when we prioritize him above everything else and we reorientate our lives around him and draw near to him and boldly enter in. Because I believe it's from that place of deep, true, sincere worship. As he gathers his people together in that place of true, deep, sincere worship. That he's actually going to bring us through these next few years. He said to the church in Philadelphia, because they held on to his name, that he would keep them from the hour of testing that was coming on the whole world. And I believe... Only because I feel, 
I feel the sense from the Spirit that, it was, that it's true of us today. That by clinging closely to the Lord, by drawing close to Him, by boldly entering in and staying in and refusing to be moved from that place, that when everything else is being shaken, when everything with a faulty foundation is crumbling around us, that He will keep His people sure. He will keep them from the hour of testing. And He will give them a way to pass through. And so I want to encourage you this morning. <clears throat> I want to encourage you not to be fearful of the future, not to be worrying about what's coming down the pipeline, not, not to be speculating or, 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 or stoking conspiracy or anything like that. What I want to encourage you to is to, to a deeper and greater place of worship because it's from that place that he's going to carry you through some of the most difficult seasons of your life. Learn how to be in that place. Learn how to stay in that place of communion with him throughout the day. I'll get the worship team to come back. I want to encourage you that when things get tough, and, um, and they will get tough, that you won't forsake the gathering of his people. Now that paradigm is still true. We don't have to go somewhere to worship the Lord. You can worship the Lord in your living room. You can worship the Lord from your bed. In this moment, you can just enter into the secret place of your heart and to begin to actually experience His presence and to commune with Him. You can do that in this moment right now. It's not necessary to go to a place in order for that to happen. <clears throat> but when we go through hard times, often when our priorities aren't aligned, our relationship with the Lord is the first thing to drop off because it feels like it's the least necessary thing to get done in order to get through. And I want to encourage you to reorientate that order of priority. That your relationship with Him is the most essential thing about who you are and the life you live. So I'm going to just get you to stand, if you're able. I'm just going to pray and we're just going to sing some songs and I hope I pray that you will worship with me so Lord Lord where there's been any failures or inadequacies on my behalf to communicate what your spirit is doing this morning Lord I pray that those words would simply fall on deaf ears Spirit, you would be speaking to hearts, that you would be highlighting things that have taken first place in people's lives.
Holy Spirit, you would be leading your people, guiding your people on how to enter the secret place, how to enter into worship, how to abide in your presence. Knowing that you are faithful to your people, that you love your people.